Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is a great treat to be with you again, and I am so grateful for the privilege and for the ability to be able to talk to you like this. And uh, we have people that get a lot of attention in this church, and uh, they, they deserve every bit of attention they get, but there are others who uh, play just as pivotal a role as the others do, and they don't get much airtime. But uh, I want to especially reach out today and say thank you to Matthew Cothran, who is my scripture man. I think he's the best in the country, and he is so faithful, and he does such an amazing job. I want to thank Colin Zenobia and Lauren Hill for so much of the work that they do. Tyrone Reed, who's constantly filming and editing. Jeremiah Gibbs, who has just been fastidious and been a perfectionist in so many different avenues and different things that we've been attempting and and accomplishing. And I want every one of these people to know how grateful I am. I want to send out a special congratulations to our worship pastor, Draylen. Draylen Young, uh, his new song was released last week, and uh, as of today, uh, they're playing it in 18 different countries. There were three high-profile radio stations that played it today. He's had thousands of views, and it's just picking up more momentum day after day. And so, Draylen, we want to congratulate you and uh, just believe that this thing will just go around the world and encourage an awful lot of people because I know that's your heart and uh, it's just a real treat to sit here and watch the Lord elevate you and promote you and I love you pal I love you I'm reading to you from the book of Philippians chapter 2 5 through 11 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to teach you today something that we're going to entitle the creative power of Satan and the Savior. The creative power of Satan and the Savior. Let me begin by letting you know that there are four things that Satan can never do. Number one, he can't make you sin. The Bible says every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin Satan can't make you sin. He can't be everywhere at once. 
He is not omnipresent. That can only describe our God. Satan is always relegated to one location at a time. Satan can't do anything without permission. Because when you read the book of Job, the Lord would let him go so far and wouldn't let him go any further. So there are things that he is doing right now, but I, try, I promise you, he's on a leash. He's on a leash. And I'll tell you the fourth thing, which I think is most important of all, the fourth thing that Satan can never do. Ultimately, he can't win. He has to lose. And uh, we've read the back of the book. We win. We win. But uh, I've always viewed the Creator through one lens, through one facet. I've always considered the Lord as the Creator. But I was recently having a conversation with my wife. My wife is such a uh, diligent Bible student, and she loves that word. And every morning in her prayer time, study of the word, I have such deep respect for my precious wife, Renee. But we were discussing something, and, and it was just in that moment of basically just her sharing things that she had read and me telling her things that I was aware of. And, and I, I said to her, I said, you know, I've never realized that until now, but Satan is a creator as well. And she looked at me and she said, what, what do you mean by that? And so it gave birth to this lesson that I'm going to teach you today. Because in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it refers to the Lord as the author and the finisher of our faith. And that same concept is echoed in Hebrews 5 and 9 when it calls him the, the author of our eternal salvation. So, when you really think of it, what is an author? An author is a writer. And uh, they write and give birth to reports and manuscripts, but most often books. And truly, our God has authored an amazing book and has given us the Bible. And why wouldn't he do that when, after all, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was made flesh? But consider this verse. Not only is Jesus Christ referred to as an author, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. When I was a boy, I saw a church of strife and jealousy. And that church had a wonderful pastor, but he was tasked with a very obstinate group of sheep. And in time, I saw just about every terrible thing that you could think of happen in that church flock. I saw abuse basically in pretty much every sense of the word and anything else you could wrap your mind around. And I found this verse. 
years later, and it made perfect sense to me. It's in James 3 and 16. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. It is apparent to me that this was the work of the enemy. Just as the Lord is the author of our eternal salvation, someone else had to read it, and someone else had to obey the word. Satan is an author, and he has written a script. But just as someone has to obey the word of the Lord, someone has to live out what Satan has authored and what he's written. And simply said, the author, the enemy of our soul, is the author of confusion. And I've always believed that whatever the Lord is, Satan is the opposite of that. For instance, in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So let's just take these three things that are... Let's, let's take, first of all, where Jesus said he is the truth. Because the opposite of truth is deception and lies. And that makes perfect sense when you read John 8 and verse 44. Because he said, Satan is a liar... And he is the father of it, or he is the father of lies. Literally, Jesus called Satan the, the one that fathers or gives birth to deception. Go, go back to the beginning and listen to him tell Eve, if you're going to do this, or if you'll do this, you, you'll be a, a god. Now, now, you've got to consider who's talking. You've got to consider who's talking. See, from the very outset of the word, his first appearance is coupled with deception. From the beginning, he fathered and gave birth to lies. Jesus said, he is the life. And obviously, the opposite of life is death. And so Jesus said in Matthew 10 and 28, don't, don't be afraid of somebody that can kill the body. You need to be terrified of someone who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Everything you read about Jesus Christ is associated with life. In John 10 and verse 10, he said, I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The entire Christian experience is not possible without resurrection. <laughs> and when you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives the most incredible explanation of the power of his resurrection. John 1 and 4 said, In him was life, and the life was the li Everything about him was life. The first thing he said, though, was not that he was the truth or the life. It said he was the way. Everything about Jesus is direction-oriented. 
When, when you read uh, um, Proverbs chapter 8, there, there is a, a, an amazing discourse of something called I wisdom. And in 8 and 27 of Proverbs, he said, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. Watch this. And when he set a compass on the face of the depth. This is an amazing statement. It, it is the boast of God saying, I put a compass on the face of the deepest oceans. In other words, there was no north, east, south, or west until the Lord established those things. And what are those things? They are the four absolute essentials for direction. See, Jesus is the way, and the opposite of direction is the absence of that direction Thus the word lost. Listen as the prodigal's father rejoices at his return. In Luke 15 and 24, he said, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. See, see, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So the enemy of our soul is the absence of the way or lost. He is the opposite of truth or deception. And uh, he is the opposite of life, and that's death. Because the enemy has always had a cheap alternative, a, a, a duplicitous imitation. And uh, look at the Godhead. Look at the Godhead. God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And um, the Bible said in Ephesians verse 4 and verse 4, there is one Spirit. Did you see that? There is one Spirit. There is not a Spirit of the Father, separate from the Spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. There's just one Spirit. John 4 and 24 said, God is spirit. There's just one spirit. That is the spirit of the Father. But when you read 2 Corinthians 3, it says, now the Lord is that same spirit. And that's very interesting because when you read Acts 9, and Saul was on the road to Damascus, he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Because that's important. Do you see where I'm going with this? There's only one spirit. You, 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 that is the spirit of the Father. And the Bible said the Lord is that same spirit. So whether you refer to that spirit as Father or Lord or God, doesn't matter. It's, there's just one spirit. There is not a Holy Spirit separated from the spirit of the Father. There's one spirit, and that spirit is holy. And, and, and when you understand that, you understand that spirit created the world. That spirit took on flesh and obtained redemption for us. That same spirit comes to take up residence inside of us. But what is the name? The, the name 
is not Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. Matthew, Jesus said, baptize them, name the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The name is Jesus. What are you saying? I'm saying Jesus is the saving name of the Spirit of God. And that is incredible and so necessary for you to have that revelation and for you to have that understanding. There's just one Spirit. That Spirit is God. Now the Lord is that same Spirit, but he said, who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. If there's only one Spirit, and God is that one Spirit, and the Lord is that same Spirit, then the saving name of our God is Jesus Christ. And that's such become so powerful. Is the word Trinity. It's not in the Bible. But, but do, do, do you believe in three, Pastor Hoffman? Of course I believe in three. But three what? Not three separate persons. Not three separate spirits. Do you see it? One spirit. That spirit is our father in creation. That same spirit is son in redemption. And that same spirit is Holy Spirit in regeneration. Not three spirits, but one spirit accomplishing three different tasks. First a spirit. Then that spirit is wrapped in flesh and comes to us as a man. The man, Christ Jesus. And finally, that spirit lives inside of multitudes giving birth to the church. Now watch, just as we have a father, Satan is known as the father of lies. And if you're a prophecy student, you know that there will be someone known as the Antichrist. Now the Bible talks about the spirit of Antichrist is already working. But if you're a student of prophecy, you know that ultimately that spirit is going to be embodied in a man. Do you see the correlation here? And, 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 and just as, first of all, there was the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God was wrapped in flesh, there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. If God remains Spirit, He can't redeem anybody. Jesus Christ is not the second person in a fictitious trio of beings. He's not Jehovah Junior. Amen. It's, it's, it, this, this is so important for you to understand that there was spirit, and then that spirit took on one flesh, one person. The body of Christ was, was, was in Jerusalem, or was in Capernaum, or was by Galilee. But now, <laughs> the church, according to the book of Ephesians, is referred to as the body of Christ. And just as in the real, in the actual there is spirit, there is literally what is known as the incarnation, or the spirit wrapped in flesh, and then that same spirit in multitudes. That's, that's, that's the plan of Satan. He's now a spirit. He will inhabit a man, and that man will give birth to a, a, a quasi-church, that will impact millions. Let, let, let me ask you a simple question. Where does fear come from? 
Where does fear come from? The word is very clear. In 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. In, in, in the first Bible study that Jesus ever taught, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, he said at the end of chapter 5, it says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as our Father which is in heaven is perfect. I've been told all my life, perfection is, is not possible. It's something that you will always pursue, but uh, you're never going to attain it. Well, I've got news for you. That's not what Jesus said. In fact, he told us to be perfect. How is that possible? Let me give you a few verses. Here's 1 John 2 and verse 5. Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. That word perfect is all through the Bible. And one of the attributes, if you're a student of Hebrews 12, there are these synonymous praises for the church. The church is known as Zion. She is known as the heavenly Jerusalem. But one of the aspects of that church is it said, the spirit of just men made perfect. James said, listen, here's three and two. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Those short little John books at the end of the Bible, right before Jude and Revelation, give us great insight. Think of what Jesus taught. How are people going to know we're real? In John 13, this is what he said. Here's how everybody's going to know you really are my disciples. Because you love one another. <laughs> Here's 1 John 4 and 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. You want to read something amazing? We're dealing with the, the judgment of this virus thing on the planet right now. Listen to 1 John 4, 17 and 18. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear has torment, but perfected love casts out fear. How is love perfected? It's obvious that you are in that word and you are able, if you stay in the word of God and live that thing out, James 3 and 2 said that you can get to a place where <coughs> you don't offend anybody. You don't hurt anybody. And if your words don't hurt anybody, the Bible said, that's perfect love. That's perfect love. So how is love perfected? Simple. 
quit hurting each other. I can go on and on, you know. Where, where did fear come from? That's not a God thing. Where, where did shame come from? When Adam said, we, we were ashamed, that wasn't a creation of God. That was something the enemy created. And there, there, there are multiple writers. I've read to you this discourse in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This, this may be the greatest apology or defense in the entire Bible of the due nature of Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't have time to go into the order of names, but, 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 but Philippians 2 starts talking about the mind of Christ, the, the, the mind of the Christian. Let this mind be, the, the, the word means to think of, the original phrases, to be mindful of, or simply put, we are to think as he did. See, if you study the book of Acts, um, Paul was in the middle of a great harvest, and he had a vision of a man from Macedonia that said, come over here and help us. And so Paul left the harvest that he was involved in and went to Macedonia and went to the capital of Macedonia, Philippi, because a man in a vision asked him to come. But if you know your Bible, he didn't meet a man when he first went there. He, he met a woman, a woman, and not just one woman, but she had a woman's fellowship, a woman's prayer group. Her name was Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was a wealthy cloth merchant. And she was so moved with his message that she opened up her home for him to stay in. And that's where the church in Philippi and in Macedonia was born in, in, in Lydia's house. And when you read the book, I've, I've never heard anybody teach about this, but when you read in Philippians, especially in chapter 4, listen to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. I beseech you, Odious and Sintish, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I've never heard anybody ever talk about Euodia and Sintish. Who were they? They were women that were in this original prayer group with Lydia. And these women are now fighting. There's envy and there's strife there. And they're fighting for, for position and prominence. And Paul is trying to teach these women, you, you've got the wrong way of thinking. Your, your, your mindset is not accurate. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at verse number six who being in the form of God. The word form in the original language is morphe. Just like uh, if you've ever a metamorphosis, you know, uh, is, is, is talking about a form changing. But we're not dealing with metamorphosis. We're dealing with just morph or morphe. And it literally means the essential form. Because this is important. Because look what it says in 2 and 7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That, 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 that same word is used in verse number six. 
took on the form of a servant. Amen. In verse 7, verse 6 says, he took on who being in the form of God. Watch. Who being in the form, the morphe, the form of God. You ever heard of the word theology? You know what theology is? It's the study of God. Because in so many times, theos is the, the, the original word for God. Thus, our word of theology and, and I'm not just trying to wow you, but, but, but there's a, 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 the Greek word uh, that's so often interpreted servant is a Greek word doulos, but in its real form, it's not servant, it's slave. But look, look what it, compare six and seven in Philippians two, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, being found in, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. It's the same word, form of God. Form is morphe. God is theos. Form of a servant, same, morphe doulos. Morphe theo, morphe doulos. What does that mean? What's the word morphe mean? It means the essential essence of something. It, 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 this, is, this is so powerful, and I hope that I can convey it to you. When God became man, he did not quit being God. He did not empty himself of his deity, but rather clothed that deity with humanity. And that's what gives the power behind Paul's teaching and this admonition to these two women. This is what Paul is saying. The almighty God took upon him the form of flesh. The almighty God wrapped himself in, in mortality, wrapped himself in something woundable, frail flesh. And he's saying, if the almighty God was willing to wrap himself in flesh, we should be willing to do no less. If the greatest force in the world was willing to be a servant, why do we put up such a fight when we are asked to do the same? See, the nature, the essence, morphe, we're not talking about abstract but something that actually exists in the individual. <coughs> in other words, the divine nature actually existed in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say that to you in another way. When Jesus became man, he did not cease being God. And when, because Christ was God, in flesh, he'd always been God. And he did not think it an act of robbery to be considered an equal with God. Because the word, the original word for robbery is, is a word which, 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 which means to, to, to go after the prize. The thought is since he was God, and did not consider being compared or called God a prize or a treasure to be held fast. He never bragged about who he was 
Why try and brag to others and hold on to something that you can't lose? Satan, on the other hand, considered being God a prize, that, 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 that you should grasp at that, and his desire to want to be God was literally his ruin. See, it, it was Satan who was in the form of a serpent, <laughs> not a servant. There's the form of a servant and the form of a serpent. But Satan was in the form of a serpent who tried to convince Eve, you need to grab the God prize. You need to, you need to grasp that thing and take it because you don't have it, but you can get it if you'll grab it. Do you understand what I just said? I just gave you the greatest scriptural proof of the fact that Satan is a liar. Because Satan was trying to convince Eve of something that he knew full well by personal experience was not possible. Go ahead, eat the fruit. You'll become God. What she could have said to him was, well, isn't that what you wanted? And if that is possible for me to want to be God and I can grab that and make that a reality, then what are you doing here in this garden? And why aren't you sitting on the throne that you have coveted for so long? See, when the Lord became flesh, he deliberately abandoned all that he had known as eternal. The self-existing creator of the universe assumed all the limitations of flesh. What do you mean by that? I mean, the one who never slumbers nor sleeps needed rest. He was sleeping in the bottom of the boat when that storm came. The one who could never be greater. The Bible says in Luke 2.52, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God or man. The one who could never be wounded, never be harmed, wrapped himself in flesh, flesh that could be pierced with nails, that could be probed with spears, that could be torn by thorns, and ultimately the one who could never die because he has no beginning or ending took on flesh that could die. So when God made man, this is what it says in Genesis. He said, we're going to make him in our image after our likeness. So man is a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. So when God gave man flesh, that flesh makes him conscious of the world around him. And that flesh enables him to see and smell and taste and hear and feel and live in a physical environment. But God also gave man a soul. And that soul is not world conscious, but self-conscious and aware that he is an individual all by himself with a personality and has responsibilities and is accountable. But God also gave man spirit. 
And just as the flesh makes us conscious of our world and our soul makes us conscious of ourself, our spirit makes us conscious of God, aware that we exist to worship and serve our creator. Go around the world, study history. I've been all over this world. I've been in one culture after another. But I'm telling you, whether these people ever went to church, whether they ever had a Bible, whether they ever went to Sunday school or ever had a camp meeting, let me tell you about people. They are worshipers. There was a God awareness inside of them that somehow we need to worship a higher power. Where did that come from? Something that no other creature is capable of. Cats and dogs have never asked for repentance from their sins. And when God created an animal, he gave each animal a behavior that's controlled by instinct because an animal does what it does because of what it is. Dogs, eagles, salmon, bees, they're locked into certain ways of behaving because of their instinctive inner drives. God did not create man to be controlled by instinct. He made him to be inhabited by his spirit, and that spirit would then control our thought life, which controls the body. The spirit is supposed to supply man's code of behavior, not just our fleshly instincts, for in him we live and move and have our being. The Bible says in the book of Malachi 2 and 15, it talks about the residue of the spirit. I'm convinced that after God's gone, man's spirit is the residue. It's, it's what's left behind. We are left with a, a sin factor that's now hardwired into our nature. His body became so where did disease come from where did death come from where did lust come from do you get what i'm saying these are not creations of a holy god this is a creation from another realm that there is creative power in our savior but there is a creative power in satan as well and he said you know as well as i do that there is knowledge here that God doesn't want you to have. Of course, he doesn't want you to have that. What's it feel like to rob a bank? I don't know, and I don't ever want to know. What's it feel like to be a pedophile? I don't know. What's it feel like to molest? I don't know. I don't ever want to know. There's knowledge out there that I never want to experience. Don't get duped by the deceiver. You have to understand that our senses were marred by imperfection, making us subject to lust and, and, and to our intellect and our emotions and, and, and the damage <coughs> become easy, easy prey for wrong and evil. And his spirit became the toy, the plaything for evil spirits and false religions. Man in sin is a distortion of what the Lord intended in the beginning. No wonder the guy from Nazareth many years ago told a lawyer, you must be born again. Because man in sin can be very clever. And evidence of that is everywhere. He's capable of deep emotion. He can make great sacrifices. He can have incredible displays of self-discipline. 
But man on his best day can't cleanse himself from his sin and guilt. Man can invent religions, persuade millions to join a cause, and win converts to a creed. But he'll never win the approval of God. Because the Bible is very clear. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Let me tell you about flesh before we, be, we, we come to an end. Flesh will never give you a spiritual revelation. When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, Blessed art thou, Simon. He said, Flesh didn't give you this revelation. You got a spiritual revelation. Let me tell you something about flesh. It has no value in the realm of the Spirit. Listen to John 6 and 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Let me tell you something else about flesh. Flesh is never, ever, ever going to want God. It will never get hungry and have an appetite for God. Because it says in Romans 8 and 5, For they that are after the flesh... Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Let me tell you something else about flesh. It's impossible. Flesh will never please God. Romans 8 and 8 says, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's only one solution. The blood atones the soul. And fixes that problem. The Holy Ghost re-energizes the human spirit. Now, do you see now? It's, you have a spirit, a soul, and a body. And the Bible says it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Take the word atonement and break it into three words. At one meant. That when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your life, you now who, who were Distant from, you are at one with him. The soul is atoned through the blood. But the spirit regenerizes and regenerates that human spirit. Remember me using that verse in Malachi? It talks about the residue of the spirit. It's like peeling an orange, and all you have is the peelings, the orange. It's like husking corn. The corn is gone, and all you have is the husk. But this thing puts Humpty Dumpty back together again. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the renewing, the renewing, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That makes it so powerful. So now your soul has been atoned through the blood. Study Galatians 4, that you're redeemed by blood, but you're adopted by the Spirit. They're not the same thing. So the blood atones your soul, your thought life, the Spirit resurrects your spirit and makes that thing live again. Now you have the Spirit affecting the thought life. And it's the thought life that governs the body. So what's that mean? It means it's going to be two against one. It means be full of the Holy Ghost. It will affect your thought life. That will enable you to discipline your flesh. You're going to fight this flesh until you die or the Lord comes. And in Christ, man is again 
what God intended man to be. And that's so important because he was made in the likeness of men. And that's why it's so important day by day, year in and year out, that from the first moment that he drew breath in Bethlehem until his last breath on Golgotha and yielded up his spirit, his intellect, his emotions, his physical powers were under the control of the spirit within him. He was the perfect vehicle for expressing all of the Godhead bodily. So if you are struggling right now with fear, if you are struggling with disease, if you are struggling with lust, if you are struggling with anxiety, envy, strife, jealousy, being alone, (laughs) remember what the Lord told Adam It's not good for man to be alone. He never wanted anyone to be alone or to be all one, that everything's wrapped up inside of you. I'm talking to someone right now. You're feeling disinherited. You're feeling distant from everything, marooned on your own little self-righteous island. That's not what the Word teaches Don't let the enemy create these things in your spirit and in your thought life. Let the real creator, the real, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let that thing flood your thought life. Lord Jesus, I don't know where all this is going right now, but I am asking you, Heavenly Father, to allow the words that I have done my best to teach and convey to this audience to find a trysting place. Let that ground that's been plowed up by the word take the engrafted seed, this, this, put that in that plowed up spirit inside of them, Lord, and let that thing grow some root down and bear some fruit upward. Father, for anyone that's alone right now, while I'm talking to them. Let them sense from me and through your word. You said, I'll be with you to the end of your world. Though a mother forgets her own, I will never forget those that are mine. He that hath made the eye, can he not see? He that hath made the ear, can he not hear? Lord, you're with us right now. And I want your divine creative power to birth inside of us the confidence, the consolation, the comfort of knowing you are with me right now. And these other voices that are trying to get on the throne of my thought life, I refuse them access and I make them abdicate the throne right now so that you and you alone will be not the Prince of Peace, but the King of Peace in my life. In Jesus' name we pray and call it done. Amen. Amen. God bless every one of you today. And it'll be so good when we're together soon. Amen.